So today on Instigating Women and Friends, we continue to dive in, dig in a little bit into compassion. And I have to say at the beginning, this is a risk. There's a risk of being perceived as soft, warm and fuzzy, and, and lots of questions. Why would you focus on this when leadership is all about command and control and results and execution? Um, I'll just say that I thought all those things too. Um, throughout many of my re years in career. And, and while I certainly cared about people, um, I'm not sure my compassion flowed through. And I'm pretty sure my compassion for myself um, was not a top priority. And I, I believe many out there today, regardless of your career and regardless of your role, are probably on the verge of burnout um, or you're beginning to be apathetic. And I will say compassion research um, shows that there's a whole lot that you can do in terms of compassion for others and compassion for self to help you build that resilience to begin to um, pull back in um, and focus on what gives you energy to move forward effectively. Uh, we're hearing a lot about quiet quitting and yeah, you can disengage completely to allow yourself to get time to build back up and to get through burnout. But I would tell you that it's actually better to re-engage um, on the things that you care about and other people in your self-care to help you get through periods of disengagement and, and burnout. Um, finally, I'll just read the definition that Brene Brown uses in her uh, latest book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, to help you understand what we mean by compassion. Her definition, and, and one that many share, is compassion is the daily practice of recognizing and accepting our shared humanity so that we treat ourselves and others with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. So, Compassion is not navel gazing. Compassion is not soft, warm, fuzzy nothingness. Compassion leads to action. And so I ask you to listen to uh, the video upcoming that Kate and I did make, uh, but more importantly, focus on research like Atlas of the Heart like uh, Dr. Kristen Neff's books on self-compassion, whether it's um, fierce self-compassion or tender self-compassion that you need. It might be a little bit of both. And especially if you're in healthcare and you've got questions about whether or not any of this makes sense, um, a book from 2019, Compassionomics, is great at showing the return on invest, not only for patients, but for staff and for yourself, um, if you're able to exude compassion in all you do throughout your work. Have fun. Hi, Kate. Good morning. How are you? I, I'm doing well. Uh, I know we talked last week about focusing on compassion in today's episode. And I'll just say, even when I say that word, I, I think it's a risk. It's a risk um, that people will assume this is all warm and fuzzy stuff that uh, is meaningless or not research-based in any way to help people uh, move through whatever they're trying to move through. Um, in fact, I think about a former CEO I worked with who would call things like this navel gazing and worthless. 
And I know you and I share a lot of background. Um, and I'll just say, even though I got into healthcare because I absolutely cared about people and community and community health and everyone I work with, because I grew up in a family with mental health disease and some bad, tough stuff. Um, I, I know that when I got into career, I armored up pretty well. Um, I armored up against who knows what could happen. I armored up myself, but I also didn't show my caring and compassion with those that I worked with probably as much as now looking back, I wish I had. Um, and it's not just because evidence research now shows it's most um, helpful, but um, I, you know, everybody wants to be loved. Uh, everybody wants to be liked. And, you know, there were many days people didn't really like me very much. And then, you know, back in those days, I was like, you know, it is what it is. I'm a businesswoman. I'm here to make change. I'm here because we're here to serve this community. And yeah, it might be hard and we might be moving fast. Um, I, I'd flip from that to kind of being a cheerleader. Mm. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. You know, you'll see when we get there. And, um, you know, there, there came a point when I was getting feedback from people real time in person, people that I worked with that I did really respect and like, and, and one male physician in particular said, you know, you're, you are great. And yet, um, to be better, it would help if you listened. And I thought, listened, I listen all the time. I ask questions all the time, but as I reflected on it later, I would listen to figure out what they were missing, or I was listening to figure out what we could immediately do next. I was listening to try to help people perform better, faster, be more efficient. Um, and that, that wasn't really listening, first of all, and it was in no way showing compassion. Um, which compassion really is what people need to feel respected, to build trust. Um, and so that's, I guess, you know, some of the paradox of me going into healthcare is I went into healthcare to care about people. And I walked away from it thinking, oh my gosh, all these years, I've not been doing one fundamental component, which is really listening and really dialoguing and over the last couple of months, reading more about compassion, all the different ways to show compassion um, has helped me make this uh, recognition. So, you know, I wonder for you, you, you weren't in healthcare, you were more um, software, IT, male dominated industry, you know, what, what's your link to compassion? So in the tech industry, I think we think about compassion and we think about, especially on the West Coast, I think we think about compassion and I think we know that compassionate leaders are the ones who engender a following, but we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do it for ourselves and we don't know how to do it for others. Um, so my relationship with compassion has always been a little bit blind in the sense of um, so if you think about compassion and, and self-compassion, I don't have a strong negative voice per se. 
it's more like a negative force. So it's that, um, you know, I know some people have a negative voice. They're like, whoa, that was stupid. Why did you do that? Blah, blah, blah. But mine isn't a voice. There's no, there's no words. There's just a, um, like a shameful feeling or a, um, you know, you did something wrong or whatever. Um, and so early on in my career, I would ruminate a lot. I would dig into like, oh, you should, that was stupid that you said that. Um, I would rewrite the paragraphs <laughs> that I felt were bad, um, mostly keeping me um, awake at night um, and just, you know, sleepless nights around like what I should have done differently or should have said differently or, or would have been better if a lot of that. And so I spent a lot of time um, in replaying the things that, that, that went on. And I think a lot of leaders do that. Um, and I think they do that and, and don't correct it because there's this perception of, well, if I change that, then what will motivate me? Like mm -hmm. that's gotten me where I am today. Um, being an executive, being, you know, being high performing, being perfect in my, in my position. So if I start being nice to myself, will I be demotivated? Mm -hmm. Where, where will the drive come from? Um, and, um, you know, slowly but surely I've, I've, I don't ruminate anymore. Um, I just stopped. <laughs> I put stuff in a, in a 50 gallon barrel drum and drove it out to the ocean in my mind and dropped it down there. And I stopped thinking about things like that. Um, but I didn't replace it with compassion. I just stopped doing that thing. Okay. Um, and I think that's why the voice for me became like a force instead of a voice. Um, but again, going back to the leadership aspect, I think we know we, we need to be compassionate leaders and we need to understand what our, you know, what our, um, workforce is going through in order to motivate them. But I think with the state of the world, on the one hand, it feels like there's far too much to even comprehend. And then on the other hand, compassion feels like a nice to have, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's. Um, I know I should do that in order to motivate, but I have a job to do right now. I have steps that need to happen right now. I have deliverables right now and I don't have time for compassion. Don't have time for compassion. I think that's a big one too. There's this fear, I think of it's going to take time then to actually stop and ask a question and really care. And then what am I going to get sucked into trying to help this person? Um, and, and then there's this, um, fear that I don't know what to do to help this person. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I did start to read the book compassionomics, which came out in 2019, which many may not have read since the world changed in 2020, but it's very much focused on healthcare and compassion and the return in all kinds of ways on delivering compassion. There's better patient quality. There are better patient outcomes. There are better patient relationships with the caregivers who are able to express compassion. And then in turn, 
that provides more compassion for the self as the caregiver. And I think that's key. Um, if you overextend on compassion for others and don't focus on self-compassion, your well will run dry. But if you're intentional about both, um, it can be a great thing. And then it just struck me that much like in coaching, if you believe that you're showing compassion for another because you're there to fix them or help them or rescue them, you are gonna, again, have your, all your energy sucked because it's not your role to fix someone. The mindset has to be, this is a resourceful adult in front of you. And maybe all they need of your compassion is for you to spend a few seconds listening, truly listening and acknowledging, yes, this is hard. Yes, this is hard. <laughs> I think the, that discomfort with hard feelings mm -hmm. or even acknowledging that I'm suffering or, you know, whatever, um, and that, that tendency to be like, oh, I don't want to feel the feels. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the feels. Oh gross. gosh. Well, <laughs> and so I'm going to, I'm going to tamp it down. I'm going to, cause it's not useful. My, my philosophy was like, well, what am I supposed to do with anger? That's not useful. It's not productive. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put it over there. Um, what am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do with, with disdain? What am I going to do with, with unhappiness? What am I going to do with disappointment? All of that it's not useful. So I'll just put it over there. But for me personally, when I put it over there, it has the tendency of building up and becoming like a, like the visual that comes to mind is a big crusty weight that I have to hang around with, right. Versus feeling the feels, acknowledging that and, and not building a story around it, but acknowledging that there's a lot of people, if we think about the rumination, right? Oh, I said something stupid. Eh, I'm not expected to be perfect. People aren't asking me to be perfect. Other people probably have said stupid things. Um, <laughs> if <it's> something, <laughs> probably. Probably, maybe. <laughs> probably. Um, if it's, you know, stupid enough that, that, that I feel bad enough and I need to apologize to someone, I can do that. But then, like, that weight is gone. I'm no longer holding the crusty, big, gigantic concrete weight of all the emotions because I felt with it and I've dealt with it and I can now move on mm -hmm. and I'm not pretending like I'm a you know I'm someone who doesn't need to feel yeah right I'm I'm so productive I'm so you know I have so much value and output that I don't I don't get to feel those feels yeah I don't need that yeah it doesn't affect me yeah. yeah. And some of it is, I, I think there's some thread in here about perfectionism, believing one must either be perfect or appear to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that ties directly to, um, if, if I'm not perfect or if I don't appear perfect, then people won't like me. I mm -hmm. won't belong. I won't, you know, I won't, um, I won't get the promotion. I won't get the raise. I will be the first to be laid off. Um, because they know that I'm not perfect and, um, and, and they know that I don't belong because everyone else, I think the presumption there is everyone else is perfect, mm -hmm. which rationally, when we, when I say that out loud, I'm like, how did we get to that conclusion? <laughs> I don't know. 
but it's alive and well, whether that's the inner critic or whether it's that imposter syndrome. Um, yes, there seems to be this inherent belief we all gravitate toward at some point where there's this model of perfection. Um, and if we don't fit, we at least need to appear we do. We need to appear to be perfect. Um, and so our outside is completely misaligned with what's going on inside. <laughs> right. Each and every one of us. So we're all walking around internally turmoiled. Yeah. While we all sit there and look at each other like, I fit in, do you fit in, you fit in, do I fit in? Right. But if we just acknowledge the human condition that we're all scared of not fitting in, that we're all scared of not being perfect, if we're, that we're all scared of not doing a great job, gosh, if we could let that mask down, mm -hmm. it feels like the effort might be a little bit easier to navigate. Yeah, you know I mean? exactly. And I think that's why the pandemic sent everyone in a spiral because suddenly there was no perfect. There was nobody that really did have a good grasp that had been there, done this before that we could gravitate toward and be like, oh yeah, we need that too. Um, mm. Oh, but I think people over-indexed on the, well, now I have to work in three times as hard. I was, yeah. I was working 50 hour work weeks. Now I just won't get up from my computer ever. <laughs> I'll just right here yeah. all, this, all day long um because I don't know what else to do yeah because I have to prove now that I'm not visible I have to prove that I'm online or yes or available like this 24 7 365 work from yeah. home awesome <laughs> yeah. all the time all the time the other thing that um I really had to come to grips with with respect to compassion was that it wasn't going to hurt my drive. The, the, that I had to kind of almost decouple that my drive was as a result of me being hard on myself. Mm -hmm. And the, the research shows that um, those who can admit and can admit their mistakes and go on with them tend to be much more, have greater perspective on um, the different things that they could try. And I think that goes into the growth mindset aspect that you were, um, you were thinking about earlier too, is when I have more things to choose from, then it doesn't feel like, oh, this was the only, this was the only option for me. Yeah. And so for me, I was very much in that space of, um, if I give up being hard on myself, then what? Then will I not achieve anymore? Mm -hmm. And what I found is no. <laughs> nope. I still have a really strong core value around achievement and around um, productivity. I just am not a jerk to myself when I make a mistake. Yes. And I really started to reflect on what am I driving toward? Mm. Am I driving so hard toward a title, a status, income? What was it? And, and to spend time being compassionate just by listening to my heart, my gut, just 
spending quiet time reflecting, what do I really want to achieve? I think it's helped me figure out how to have a better intersection of driving to achieve on those things that really are important to me and always have been. And the other stuff I could, I can do, I could do, um, they're just not that important. So quit it, you know? <laughs> yeah. When you're doing uh, them for other people, right? The yeah. title for who? Is yeah. it for you? Yeah. I could, I could call you whatever you want to be called. Mm -hmm. You know, does it, is it meaningful? Is it meaningful? Am I really driven or am I addicted to the adrenaline rush and the competition and all that stuff, which now I'm like, no, it's really not important. It's really not healthy. It's really not helping me um, build a relationship with anyone I care about. Um, and then having the guts to let go of that stuff. Yeah. The, I think that we, we build up this checklist in our mind as we're growing up, like, oh, this is this is what happy people have. Happy people have the, you know, the house, the car, the wife, the husband, the, um, the title, the income, you know, and and then we we often get there and we're like, well, what happened? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I'm not happy. I'm not happy that I got here. And so, starting to reflect on what is meaningful to me and is that in alignment with society and is it okay that i'm not checking all the boxes that society is because mm -hmm. when i was driving towards those things for me personally um it became a very external um kind of autonomous like automatic drive like I, of course i was going to go get a go to be a vice president sure that's what one does yeah that that is the path yeah. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> and willing to give up anything that brought me personal joy to get there. And to to say to myself, oh, I'm actually I'm not interested in that anymore. And to make a pivot and to to consciously choose joy. Mm -hmm. It's big. There is a gender thing here though. I'll raise it. Uh, research is showing that all men and women now prefer to work for female bosses post-pandemic because women are more inclined to have the two highest correlates to leadership success, wisdom and compassion than the male gender. And I think I grew up um, uh, really connecting with men more often than women at work. Um, well, even, you know, I was hung out with my husband and his friends. I just, guys weren't so emotional. They weren't so soft. They weren't so chatty. I'm not a chatty person. I'm not a small talk person. So I, I always tended to um, get the, the male gender, uh, archetype at work. Um, but what I found was, like I said, if I, then as a female acted that way without compassion, it was like, bam, countercultural, mm, not accepted. Um, and I do wonder if the physician that gave me that feedback about not listening would have had the same feedback for a male leader. Yeah. Um, but I can get all twisted up and ruminate that about that all day long. 
Um, I think men and women both can benefit from compassion. Um, in Fear of Self-Compassion, Dr. Karen Kristen Neff says, men actually have more self-compassion generally than women and less self-compassion or less compassion for others generally than women. And women are generally off the scales for compassion for others. So I think a key to this is, is balance, mm -hmm. not overdoing on others, ensuring you're, you're working on self and, and men fine to work on self-compassion, but work on compassion for others as well. And, and I honestly had to work on both. Um, it's like you said, I mean, the emotions, the feels scared the hell out of me. Um, how could I be viewed as weak and, and unmotivated? Well, it would be digging into all of that was my perspective. Yeah, that really resonates with me. The, um, a, that we all have growth areas within compassion, whether that be self-compassion or compassion for others. Um, I think personally for me, I was just compassion light with all the masculine energy that I have. Um, and in the tech industry, how much that was rewarded, I was compassion light. So I, I, I'm still on this journey to, and, and I'm fairly remedial, like, okay, how does one sound when they're compassionate to themselves? Yeah. How does one sound when they're compassionate towards others? And I've had to kind of bring in the vocabulary of compassion for both. What does it sound like? What are the words? Because um, a lot of, you know, when you have kids and you listen to them and you, you say nice things and whatnot, um, you know, the tendency is to rescue, to come in and like, oh, I'm going to fix that for you. That's not helpful because each individual is resourceful um, and knows what is best for them. So the for me, it was really learning the 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 compassion 360 degrees. Um, but to your point, right? If you're finding yourself, no, I you know I actually speak to myself pretty nicely, but I'm hard on others. Mm -hmm. That might be an opportunity to to grow in compassion for others. Um, or I'm giving all my compassion to others and I'm still hard on myself. Um, well, imagine what superpower you could have if you were a balance of compassion for both um, yourself and others. Mm -hmm. And what a great leader everyone could be. Yeah. Leader at work, leader at home, leader of self. Yeah. Yeah. Not maybe being so angry at people for not doing the things that you wish that they would be doing. Yeah. Um, and more compassionate towards what their journey is. Yeah. And I talked about the risk early on of even this conversation, making it sound like here we are, these softies. Um, but then I think at the end of the day, is this a no regret move? Am I ever going to regret being more compassionate to others? Am I ever going to regret being more compassionate to myself? No. So if anybody out there watching this thinks, you know, crazy stuff, you know, we got to compete, we got to work on economy, we've got to have statistics and plans and, and outcomes, I, I would just say, you know, think about this as, as a no regret move and give yourself and others um, the joy of really beginning to appreciate the process.
and being open and understanding it's impossible for you to be perfect or have all the answers. It's just impossible. And if you think you do, you've got lots of other issues that others see in you that you may not be seeing right now. Might not be open to them. Might not be open to them. Yeah. yeah. I think about the um, the aspect of how, you know, driving to goals and and making sure that you're meeting deliverables and moving the company forward on so many levels um, in your personal goals and as well as your group goals um, and how compassion can increase the capacity. Okay. So I think of it as a, you know, it won't stop you from leveraging all the things. It's not like you then are compassionate and therefore not these other things. It's a plus factor. It's a plus factor. I like that. So increased capacity. It's almost like a, a little secret tool in your back pocket. <laughs> if you have the guts to use it. Mm -hmm. Try something on. Hmm. Good. So anything else for today? Nope, nothing for me. All right. Sounds great. Good to see you. You too. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.